the Premier League season is over, but we still have Champions League and the Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score a number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today's episode is about sensible transfers. Uh, I welcome now Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello Joe. And Alex Stewart. Hello. Now for those of you who don't know, Sensible Transfers is a TIFO series that we run in the summers and in January during the transfer windows of the, well I guess of most European football. What we do is we look at teams, we identify the problem areas with those teams and then we suggest solutions for those problem areas uh, in the form of incoming transfers. And uh, lots of you seem to enjoy this and we've had 888 comments or questions for uh, teams and positions. Also, before we get started with today's podcast, I would like to let you all know uh, that we are releasing 10 Sensible Transfers videos on the TIFO Football YouTube channel. Uh, you should check those out. They are about eight minutes long and they're, uh, they're you know slightly more in-depth, I suppose, than what we're going to do here, uh, where we're just going to chat rubbish. Uh, is everyone excited? Uh, yeah, yeah, I certainly am, yes. What a powerful room we have. It's too hot to be excited. I can't get excited about anything at the moment. It is warm. Would you know what I'm excited about? Crystal Palace? No. Oh, I, <laughs> I mean, I am excited about there, Crystal nicely, Palace. But... No, I am excited about Crystal Palace, but I'm very excited about The Athletic. Uh, if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you can get a 30-day free trial to read all of the sensible transfer pieces, editorial pieces that have been written for every Premier League club, also for two of the Scottish clubs, some of the championship clubs too. So if you like uh, this series, and we're, you know, obviously we can't make videos to cover every team. If you like this series and you, and you support one of the, uh, air quotes, smaller teams, you should take up a 30-day free trial because your dedicated club correspondent has written, with the assistance of Alex, a sensible transfers style piece uh, for, for, for every team that The Athletic covers. So that's The athletic.com forward slash TIFO. Anyway, uh, without further ado, I'll leave you in the, uh, the cool embrace and the warm hands today of myself, Alex and Seb. Righty-tighty, uh, we're covering three teams today three teams uh crystal palace wolves and manchester city uh, we're going to start with crystal palace and uh, i know that alex has a analyzed the, the problem areas already but we also have uh, a number of questions from listeners uh, related to the team too so we're going to start with one of those questions please because it's one that's come up uh, several times uh rowan 31 asks for a centre-back for Palace. Now, I assume, Alex, uh, since it's come up a number of times, this is a problem area. Can you just explain why that's the case for those listening and for me? Yeah, I, I think the main reason that it's a, a problem area for Palace is simply that the people that they've got 
there are sort of getting on slightly. Um, I mean, Sacco's been there, Mamadou Sacco's been there a little while, and he's not necessarily as reliable as you would want for a, a Premier League centre-back. Otherwise, Palace have been defensively really, really strong. I think it's more a question of the fact that that people uh, like Tompkins, Kelly, are, are kind of getting on slightly, um, and that possibly... You know, it's time to start refreshing that position rather than there being a massive issue with it. Okay, so um, have you got a pick lined up for this one? I mean, sort of. Uh, it, I'll be honest with Palace. I concentrated on the other positions. Um, right. I don't know. Go to Seb, maybe. Oh, fine. <laughs> I see. It really, it really is a poor start. Uh, Seb Stafford Bloor. Uh, you've heard it there. We've been explained to about why this is a problem area. Uh, lots of people asking for a centre back for, for Crystal Palace. Who would you suggest to come in and fill that role? So we know that this defence needs to get a little bit better, a little less reliant on the goalkeeper too. Um, but the squad as a whole needs to get a bit younger. Interesting statistic about Palace. Um, of their 14 most used players uh, in the Premier League last season, uh, not one of them was under the age of 27, um, and only one of them was 27, uh, Wilfred Zaha. So I've gone for two players who hopefully improve the defence, but also kind of potentially give them the option of a, a resale at some point in the future too. Um, Swansea's Joe Roden, who I really like as a footballer. Um, he's one of the kind of um, an evolved type of centre-back who likes the ball at his feet. He's got a good passing range. Pretty good one-on-one defender. A few question marks about his ability there in sort of isolation with with tricky attacking players. Um, and the other one, a um, little bit of a left field one. Actually, a guy who used to follow me on Twitter until he became too famous and then unfollowed me. Um, <laughs> Harold <laughs> Harold Macudi of uh, of Saint Etienne. Really interesting player. I mean, he he spent a bit of time on loan at Middlesbrough. Didn't go that well, but I watched him again in the. Um, in the French Cup final against PSG, he was absolutely excellent in that game. He's a bit leggy. Um, I'm not sure how well he uses his body, uh, but his passing range is lovely. Um, and you, you, you can definitely see him evolving into kind of a, a cultured Premier League centre-back in the future. Um, so, yeah, that would be a nice start because I think if you're... With regards to that age problem, I think it doesn't show anywhere more... more um, you know, more vividly than it does in that back line. It's a very, very old group of players. And uh, yeah, it, and even if you've got someone coming in who needs maybe a season, season and a half to kind of grow into a new role, you can do that because you've got veteran players around there. I mean, you know, you've got Gary Cahill still at the club. Um, it's a pretty good centre-half to, to learn from, a Champions League winner. Um, so yeah, those are my picks. Okay, let me ask you this, Seb, because I know Alex does this with uh, robot numbers, but how do you look at a player playing in France uh, and think they are uh, Crystal Palace quality as opposed to Manchester City quality as opposed to, I don't know, Nottingham Forest quality? How, how do you make that judgment in your head? Well, I suppose it's not really a question of quality. It's more of a kind of where they are in their career and, and how big the jump would be. So with someone like Joe Roden... I think he probably could play for a very large club in the future. I think actually he was he was linked to Manchester United 18 months ago. Um, I'm not quite sure where that came from or how true it was. Can, um, can I interrupt and, and say that I'm, I'm pretty sure he's taken for? I think he's just uh, signed a three-year deal with Spotify for $100 million. <laughs> it's no, it's kind of dropping this very Rogan useful joke. and sensible transfers. That- is that okay, Joe Rogan? Joker? I genuinely thought that's what you that were was saying. That was a very, Joe that Rogan. was a very nice little segue. That that's 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 wonderfully spun me off my uh, off my point. 
Fantastic. Good, thank you. No, I, I take your point. You know, it's about the jump. I like it. Stop talking. Alex, uh, the other two <laughs> the other two positions that you've um, that you've you've told me about uh, and the, these are these are reflected uh, in the the user questions as well. For example, DDJ5K asks for a striker for Palace as do a, a number of other commenters too. Um, let me just ask you though, one of the other things that came up in 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 the user listener requests frequently was a replacement for Zahar in the case that he does leave. I think that was the, the, the biggest number of comments about Palace related to the potential uh, of, of Zahar leaving. Um, have you not gone for a wide forward on the basis that he's not going to leave? Or what, what do you think? I think Zaha's a really tricky one um, in terms of the fact that the price that Crystal Palace uh, are mooted to be looking for um because he is such a central figure to them, uh, is is really quite high for a player that is now probably past his or, or at his athletic peak. So I, I, I can understand why clubs are still linked with him. I think he's probably not quite good enough now to go to a club that would be able to pay the sort of fee that Palace are interested in. And I think he probably will just end up staying there. Well, in that case, then, um, you've identified it, as have some of the people listening. Uh, Crystal Palace need a new striker. Why is that? Because Jordan Ayew's been, actually been fantastic this season, hasn't he? And whilst Benteke had still scored very few goals, uh, he, he, he certainly has a function, right? Benteke has a function in that he's there to kind of win the ball in the air and, and contest stuff. But Palace are best when they're breaking at speed, which obviously Zaha is a, a part of. Jordan Ayew is also a part of, although he's, he's played quite wide uh, as well. What you have to look at is that Ayu is is Palace's leading goal scorer with nine goals. So yeah. you know that that's a pretty poor return as an individual. No, that's okay. Um, it's still less than point two per ninety, but it's not bad given that he does also contribute a great deal in terms of pressing, in terms of energy, and in terms of ball carrying. But what Palace really, really need is somebody who I think is not a Christian Benteke clone. I think they need somebody who is adept at being part of a break, but uh, much, much more lethal as a finisher. So I've got a couple of options on on that, and then I've got somebody, if they wanted to go, maybe for more of a Benteke-style one. Uh, Can I make a suggestion? Callum Wilson. He's on my list. He's on my list. Yeah. <gasps> I'm good at football. I just wanted to check if I was good at football. <laughs> Alex, what's what's your list? Go. Sure. So so the two that I'm probably most interested in, um, Adrian Huno, who's at Rennes, um, who is the sort of striker who really doesn't need many, many opportunities uh, to score a goal. He's incredibly efficient, quite a low shot volume, but a very high proportion of those shots not only are on target, but result in a goal. Probably valued at about five million. He'd cost more, obviously, but the thing I like most about him is that he can play on either flank as well. Uh, he's a kind of dribbly, you know, rushes forwards as part of a counter attack, but manages to get himself in a position to shoot, uh, sort of striker. So he would work well with Palace's sit deep counter attacking style. The other one um, who will be familiar to fans of uh, the Sunderland Till I Die Netflix documentary uh, is Josh Madger, who's now at Bordeaux. Madger was Sunderland's best player uh, in the first series that was covered by that documentary. I can't remember exactly what season that was. Um, and engineered a move to Bordeaux where he's he's really played very, very well. He's scoring uh, half a goal 
per shot on target. Again, he's he's an efficient striker. He's a good technical striker. He's very quick. And likewise, he can play in the wide positions. Um, so they're two very good options if you're looking for that kind of player. The, the last one I'd bring up is an interesting one in that he's already a Crystal Palace player. He's a guy called uh, Alexander Sorloth, who's currently on loan at Trabzonspor, where he's scored 24 goals in, in 34 appearances. Whoa! Trabzonspor have him technically on loan until the end of next season. Um I don't know if there's some sort of arrangement in that loan deal where he can be recalled, but he is a big physical aerial striker. He's excellent at holding up the ball. He's only 24 years old. Um, he's very, very capable of playing as the kind of focal point and linking up play. I mean, the and Turkish I just think, League isn't a DOS either, is it? No, it's not at all. No. Um, and, I, and I think if you've got someone like that who's already on your books, yes, you might have to pay a fee in order to get the loan agreement uh, cancelled. I'm pretty sure there's not a player who's gone the other way. I mean, for example, um, uh, with AC Milan, they've basically swapped uh, Ante Rebic and Andre Silva with um, Eintracht Frankfurt. And Silva's playing brilliantly, but that's the kind of loan deal where Milan probably couldn't get Silva back because there's a player that's gone the other way. I can't see that that's the case with Sorloth and, and Crystal Palace. And I just think if you've got a striker who's who's scoring that many goals in a league of genuine quality and is of the right age profile and has probably had a season where he's kind of hardened up a little bit, it would be stupid not to try and get him back and make use of him. Yeah, crikey. Okay, uh, thanks for that, Alex. What was his name again? Alexander Sorloth. Lovely. Uh, Seb, Callum Wilson. Callum Wilson, because comes from a system at Bournemouth, is based around the counter-attack, which is almost exactly as Palace have been trying to play. Um, you factor in a sort of a, a you replace a, a Josh King with a, a Wilf Zaha, Andros Townsend, and you could see that transition being pretty easy for him. So he was my safe, obvious pick. You know, the one I did before, you know, I actually started researching properly. <laughs> um, I've also gone to the Turkish League, um, to Fenerbahce and Vedat Mariki. Um He's yes. Kosovan forward. So people that um, people that saw the game between England and Kosovo uh, at the end of last year will remember him. What strikes me about Palace is they have a couple of issues going forward. One of them is that they just don't take enough shots. Um, Mariki, um, not quite as a efficient goal scorer as Solov, um, but he is taking three and a half shots per game. At the moment, no Palace player um, last season in the Premier League averaged uh, more than half of that. Um, so that's quite worrying. And Mariki, I, I think... I'm not sure I want a goal scorer. I think I need someone that scores goals, but I need someone that's got a little bit of craft as well. Someone that's going to be um, going to be a pivot around whom you know Zaha and Tanzan can play, and we'll get to our kind of our midfield category as well because we, I think at Palace you need to have more midfield players getting beyond the attacking line, um, a little bit more a little bit more weight in the box, a little bit more presence, uh, a bit more craft. It's complicated though, isn't it? Because like my experience, or my understanding of how Palace play, and I know this is this has changed a little over the last couple of years, but I remember when, when Roy Hodgson first arrived and suddenly we, we, we saw Townsend and Zaha as wide forwards, being being the players furthest forward on the pitch uh, and the role yeah. of Benteke, or you know, now it is in, in certain cases, Ayu, is more of a facilitator, almost in that, that kind of, almost as a false nine, you know? Yeah, so I wonder yeah. if the difficulty, and maybe Alex, you can speak to this, the difficulty in having central midfielders who who can progress and move forwards and get into the box is that you, you end up 
clashing quite a lot with the with the striker who's in front of you because that player isn't as far forward as they would ordinarily be. Is that a problem when you play like this? Um, I think it can be. Uh, I mean, there's 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 two issues really. Um, but before I address either of them, I just like to say I think Mariki's a really good shout. And if you watch the England Kosovo game. Uh, the goals that Kosovo scored in that game largely came about because of Mariki's pressing, which is a really interesting point. He's a very astute presser of the ball, which I think would would facilitate uh, Palace attacking through those wide areas. To go back to the point that you were asking, I think the issue here that we always face with, with these sorts of um, podcasts and this kind of uh, approach is that it depends on how much a team wants to find players that fit the pre-existing system and how much the team is in a transition to a different one. And I think if you're looking at Palace, for example, they very probably will look at the status quo as being quite successful. Um, I mean, they you know they achieved their league position with relative ease. That um, There are obviously areas of the squad that can be improved, but that, that sense of where the attacking threat comes from, I, I think that does make a lot of sense. If I were looking for uh, midfielders, yes, I'd like somebody who can break forwards a little bit, and you would assume that that central area wouldn't get too congested because Milivojevic will will always just kind of sit. Mm. Um, so you're only really looking for one of those players to, to burst forwards, and, and certainly one of my suggestions does do that. But I think you're also looking for um, the, the compactness in the centre, which protects those good but slightly so centre-backs um, and I think that you know when when your dynamism is coming from out wide it's quite important to have a compact midfield that doesn't necessarily stagger itself too much and so the the centre-forward dropping off to link the play is is a good solution to that issue. Okay now Seb do you have more to your list? I had a couple of outsiders I had um, Mislav Orsic who's not particularly young anymore he's 27 plays for Dinamo Zagreb is a kind of a cheaper option um, to Mariki because I think most likely he's going to be of interest to, I think, Lazio, the, the most recent club to be connected with him. So that's going to be a big chunk of a transfer budget. Um, Orsic, again, um, 12 goals, 26 league appearances last season. He's not prolific, but he does a lot of the same things. So he has that kind of playmaker gene in his, his centre-forward play, which means that he's not just a lump at, at the top of a formation, but a kind of a piece. And that's, that's what I've liked about Ayu. He scored some really important goals. Um, if you go back through his seasons, he scored, um, I think it's about five or six times, he scored the um, the decisive goal in a game. Um, but the way he combines with the other players around him has been key to his success too. And I wanted somebody else who could do that. Saving that, even cheaper option, um, if he's available, which I have to believe he would be, uh, Rian Brewster on loan from Liverpool. Had a really good season at Swansea. I think he's he's evolving into an excellent goal scorer. He's someone that probably couldn't come in and be a Premier League starter yet. I think you're looking at someone that's just part of a striking court rather than um, a, a sort of a feature number nine or anything. But um, what a goal scorer he's going to be at some point. And um, it'd just be interesting to add his goals, his sort of slightly more predatory style to what's already there. I think Benteke is probably broken beyond recognition, um, but he still f- performs a function. Ayu is... Um, you know, I've proven all sorts of people wrong, including me. So he has to be considered um, uh, the starting player at the moment. But add Brewster into that lot, and I think you're in a, in a quite healthy situation. Uh, there is one final position that's been listed here by the two of you. Oddly enough, right, uh, of I think eleven people who asked questions about Crystal Palace, 
Um, no one asked for a central midfielder. I think every other position was requested apart from central midfielder. So I'm going to ask you about your justification for including this. Before I do, I just want to give a shout out to Outlet, who uh, specifically asked for us to help bring the average age of the squad down. <laughs> so uh, hopefully we can help their Outlet. <laughs> I mean, we have no real influence, but uh, but I think we're all thinking along the same lines. Um, Alex, explain to me why, if no one's asking me for a central midfield place, why, why you think they need one? What they have with um, MacArthur and McCarthy, which is confusing, um, oh. is two very, very functional, good but not great midfielders who give you a decent amount of ball progression, a decent amount of defensive cover, don't excel at either aspect, but are quite balanced as a kind of comparison of the two of them. And then Milivojevic sits behind that and does the screening very, very ably. I think where Palace could benefit from a a different type of midfielder is somebody who can add a bit more creativity now there are two ways to do that the first is a choice of mine who's a guy called Pierre Lys Melou um, and he's from Nice and he is the sort of player who will push forwards he's got five goals as well as six assists this season he's the sort of player who will play nice through passes in tight situations He's not exactly a kind of you know high-profile player, um, although Nice did perform really quite well this season. Um, and he looks like he could adapt and add enough of a difference to the way Palace go about it. He's, he's an option. He allows them to start transitioning to a slightly more proactive and, and progressive style, which I do think is an important option to have. If you don't want to do that and you want to keep roughly what you've got in terms of balance and defensive solidity, but add slightly better, longer passing. Um, There's a guy called Joey Vernon, um, who is a 19-year-old Dutch uh, midfielder at Heronvane, who is a busy, you know, good presser, good interceptions kind of midfielder, but has this really, really lovely range of long passing with his left foot. And I think if you're looking for somebody who can play the ball into the channels, who can who can kind of pop a ball over that drops down for these quick attacking wide players to latch onto, that allows Palace to, to transition and counter-attack a, a little more directly and a little more skillfully perhaps than they have been doing, then someone like him who can sit in and 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 sort of direct the play without necessarily progressing up. Uh, and and leaving Palace a little bit open is the kind of player that they should be looking for. I agree. You know, it's it's not necessarily a massive priority, but it it is one of the reasons why Crystal Palace are very one paced in terms of their attacking style at the moment. Well, I'm glad we did this because uh, it, it's highlighted one of my favourite football stories, uh, which is the story of James MacArthur and James McCarthy. I don't know if either of you know this, right? But James MacArthur and James McCarthy both played at Hamilton Academical. And then uh, James McCarthy, I believe, was purchased by... It was Roberto Martinez at Wigan. I think it was around 2009. Uh, and then the next year, Martinez went back and got James MacArthur from... Hamilton Academical, and I always thought at the time, did he buy the wrong player? <laughs> this, this is I know like he didn't. The, um... I get that he didn't. But like, isn't that incredible? Now they played at Wigan together, and then they went their separate ways. Uh, I think James McCarthy went to, it was at Everton, wasn't he? And now they're back together at Crystal Palace again. To have such similar names, to be together for so much so, so long in their career, uh, to have been purchased by the same clubs, and to be, you know, fairly, not entirely similar, but fairly similar players in terms of position as well. It's quite incredible. That's that's like when um when Thomas Gravison got bought by Real Madrid, 
uh, there was a genuine sense that they bought the wrong bald guy, right? Because he yeah. played alongside Lee Carsley in that Everton midfield, and Carsley was very much more the kind of aggressive ball winner. I mean, Gravison was a bit like that as well, but Gravison I think had a bit more about him. And then <laughs> Gravison kind of didn't really get anywhere at Real, and, and there was a genuine speculation that that they just <laughs> bought the wrong bald guy. I tell you what, uh, it's hard to get footballers on the podcast, particularly when they're playing, but I will make a a solemn TIFO promise that when James MacArthur and James McCarthy have both retired from professional football, uh, I'll I'll do my absolute best to get them on the podcast at the same time so we can continue the legacy and uh, see what they think about it. Anyway, that's Crystal Palace. Uh, Seb, did you have any additions for that central midfield role? I did. I went cheap because these are sensible transfers and I've spent all my money on Mariki. Um, so I picked up uh, Jeff Hendrick on a free transfer after his release from Burnley. And also mm. had a little punt at Will Hughes because um, versatile player, can play a range of positions, progresses the ball quite nicely and is a slightly better footballer than people think he is. Uh, so I quite like him. But um, yeah, I, um, most of my money went uh, at the top of the pitch. Will Hughes is a really nice shout. He's Will Hughes reminds me in a way of, of someone like Jack Cork or or even going slightly further back, someone like Matt Oakley at Southampton, who they're just a lot, lot better than they're ever given credit for because they do everything well, but they don't they don't hugely stand out at any one facet. Also, it's one of those situations where because he's a little bit of a multitasker, he tends to get shifted around. Certainly did at Watford. Um Never really had a position which was definitively his own, um, because he was adjusting around the kind of the the Kure Kapu access and mid uh, access in midfield. Um, but you know, right situation. He's the kind of player that you can imagine Roy Hodgson getting something out of as well. So I quite like him, and uh, yeah, probably not too expensive given Watford's relegation. Well, that's Crystal Palace. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we'll be back shortly to talk about Manchester City. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. Okay, Manchester City. Uh, We have some of our own positions listed here. Uh, but also there are an awful lot of questions specifically for Manchester City. Oddly enough, this is not one of the positions that we have listed, Alex. But almost everyone who left a comment, I take nine people here of, I don't know, 15 for City. They asked specifically for a left back. Can you explain that to me? Um, I think it's like a Pep Guardiola nervous tick thing where there's <laughs> there, there's an assumption that you just have to buy fullbacks. Every if year, you're not buying a fullback, you're doing something wrong. I don't know personally. I mean, they've got Mendy, they've got Angelino, they've got Zenchenko, who I know Seb rates incredibly highly, particularly <laughs> as a specialist left back. Um, so, to me, I'm not entirely convinced that they that they do need a left back. Actually, um, no, fine. Maybe maybe it's just greed. Also, a lot of questions for centre back. Um, I know that I know, and you guys mentioned this to me off air. Uh, obviously, we would have included that had the Nathan Ake signing not gone through. I do know though that people are also suggesting that they they need another centre back. It's another position that look, it's hard to find a position that Manchester City haven't bought a lot of players for. Um, but just before we get started with the with the picks that we're actually going to talk about, how do you feel about uh, Manchester City's centre back options at the moment? Because there are some people suggesting that maybe John Stones has, has had his time and hasn't proved. Yeah, I think John Stones probably has had his time. Um, I mean, there's an argument to to 
try John Stones out as a defensive midfielder if you know push comes to shove. Good shout. Um, Good shout. But I think Philippe Sandler, who is the um, the young centre back who was on loan at Anderlecht, I think probably quite specifically to work under Vincent Company. Uh, this season is a really good progressive passer. Looks like he could step up. He's he's not ready to step up yet. They've got other options there. Laporte is an outstanding centre back. Um, so I, again, I think we have Garcia, young Garcia as well, right? He's played quite a lot of games towards the end or after the restart. Yeah, he has. He he looks like quite an elegant player. I'm not sure he's necessarily fast enough. Um, he's also not going to renew his contract, guys. So he's told oh. Guardiola that he's going to be leaving at the end of... Uh, I think he's got another 12 months to run, so he's going to be uh, not extending. So I think we have to factor him out. What a shame. I think if you're City, if you're a City fan, and I don't say this in any way disparagingly, but you kind of get into a situation where you're sort of assuming that you should just upgrade every position, every transfer window, because you've got lots of money and you know that that's what is... A possible option for you but I, I do think there are definitely more pressing areas uh, of the team that do need work I don't think centre-back is necessarily one of them especially now that Ake is there I think just play King KDB there I reckon it'd be, he could play everywhere reckon <laughs> he's a good footballer everyone uh, fine listen I'm going to uh, ask you now uh, a question from Guilherme SLB20 Oh no, 20 is not part of his name. He just asked it 20 hours ago. Manchester City, he's included a false nine in this, uh, a stroke striker. And I know that's one of the uh, positions that we've included here too, or centre forward. Are we thinking that, Alex, because uh, of, of Aguero reaching the end of his career? Or is it is it because uh, they're lacking in that position? I mean, they're not, but you know. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Um, no, I, th- I think it's a combination of, of Aguero edging towards the end of his career um you know he's still extraordinarily capable um and jesus does... though what do you think what do you well, think i mean i think i think he's good i think he doesn't appear to have the confidence of guardiola for some reason and i don't entirely know why that would be you know he's he's a very efficient striker um he doesn't spurn many opportunities his movement is good i think there's clearly something going on there that I have no insight into that that means he's not regarded as the heir apparent um but why that should be I I don't know because he's clearly very capable uh, well in that case then uh, let's just assume that we are Manchester City and we're going out to buy a striker this summer who are you looking at um so I've got three options the obvious one is it's painfully obvious but it's Lautaro Martinez um I think he's probably the closest proto Aguero, you know, the the player who could develop into somebody as good as Aguero. Um, he's been linked heavily with Man City and also Barcelona. There'll probably be a bit of a tussle over him, but he's he's likely to go somewhere um, for a lot of money. I think as as a, a a slightly different option, less expensive, Alexander Isaac, who's at Real Sociedad who had a high-profile move to Borussia Dortmund when I think he was like maybe 17. That didn't quite work out. He's moved on to Sociedad. He's a really nice all-round player. He's still very, very young. I think he offers a little bit more in build-up than Aguero does. Um, he's not quite the kind of predatory striker yet, but he has an interesting skill set 
that would be slightly different to what City have at the moment. And he's a player, I think, with very high potential. If you wanted more of a sort of drop-in, like-for-like replacement that's much less expensive, I would go for Osasuna's Chimiavia, um, who is, again, an efficient kind of striker, but has that sort of slightly rumbustuous, you know, rushes around a lot, stocky build, makes a nuisance of himself. It's quite a step up to go from Osasuna to, to Manchester City, but Avia's the kind of player who who does seem to be playing below his current level. Um, I think he's 26, um, scored nine goals in, in 20 appearances, and this is his opportunity to, to step up. And I think if City were looking for a short-term like-for-like option that didn't cost a huge amount of money to kind of give Aguero a rest every once in a while, Avia would be quite a good option for that. All right, Seb, hit me with the strikers. Okay, I also have Lataro Martinez um, because, as Alex said, it's just too obvious not to put him in the list. I tried at first to, to replace Aguero. Um, I thought that was sort of folly after a while. So I've gone for a slightly bigger sort of forward, a bigger body. Um, first option, Gladbach's Marcus Taram. Um, that's a project. Also a project which would come at a pretty mighty fee, I would have thought, um, because he's going to be very expensive. Um, he's also not at the level at the kind of he's not prolific enough really to be considered a true Aguero replacement so it would involve a slight adjustment but I don't think anyone would dispute that um, that he's super talented can also play from the left hand side as well as and when he needs to should there and that's a nice little option to have the second um, bit of a reclamation project because obviously it hasn't gone at all well for him at Real Madrid but Luka Jovic I just don't believe there's not a player there I, I think he's had some off field issues we know he's had off-field issues. He hasn't adapted at all well to life in Madrid. Um, and I think there's a bargain to be had there. Whether he can ever score in the same way again as he did at Frankfurt, I don't know. But you want to find out, wouldn't you? you, you he's one of those players that you probably think that's worth a little bit of a risk because you can probably get a cut-down deal from him now with at Real Madrid, especially given um, during the, the pandemic, uh, Florentino Perez um, spoke quite... Um, Fusively about you know the the issues facing his club and how they weren't going to be able to do any major transfer business, so I think there's quite a um a bargain to be had there with him with a player that they don't really want to keep. So yeah, put him in the list as well. Um, I like this comment from Whatever Gaming because uh, Whatever Gaming summarizes the next two uh, positions that we're going to look at. Both uh, are in midfield, and the first is uh, well, Whatever Gaming suggests either a backup or a replacement for Rodri. Uh, and also a replacement for uh, for David Silva, who is, of course, on his way out of the club. How do you replace David Silva? Well, simply, you don't, do you? Uh, magical, a magical uh, footballer, Alex? Oh, without question. Um, yeah, I, it's it's incredibly difficult. I mean, there's, there's an argument to say someone like Buendia could be that good, um, potentially. I, I've gone for a slightly different option in that I've taken this holistically and I've, I'm thinking about the fact that effectively you're looking to replace David Silva and Fernandinho at roughly the same time. Um, I don't think Rodri necessarily is the future of, of the defensive midfield position there because I think increasingly City have come to realise that actually they need a, a, a tougher screening presence there. Um, so you could move Rodri further up. You could play like more of a double pivot and move De Bruyne into more of a 10 role. That would be a slight transition from how City have played. But if I take the, the two positions together, I think as a defensive midfielder, 
Um, you're looking for somebody who can win the ball back, who can screen, who is energetic, good at pressing, good at tackling, all that kind of stuff. In the Premier League, it's Wilfred Ndidi. Uh, you know, he's the outstanding player in that position in the Premier League at the moment. Um, I think there's a really interesting cheaper option, um, which is Otavio at Bordeaux, uh, who is a, a Brazilian. He's played alongside a, another really interesting Bordeaux midfielder called Thomas Bessac, or Basic, who I really, really like. And he allows Basic Bashic. to be... Basic. Yeah, sure, probably. Um, <laughs> you know pronunciation is not one of my... I had to points. look it up because you made me say it in a voiceover and it took me a long time because of the, oh, the yes, different uh, accents on top. But no, it's, it's, it's Toma Basic. Okay, Toma Basic. Um, so he, he allows Basic to be the, the creative player um, and he's just a very, very busy presence, mopping up, little tactical fouls, lots of pressing. Also an interesting option uh, at Toulouse who've been relegated um, obviously Ibrahim Sangare is the defensive midfielder that everyone knows about from Toulouse um, but they've got a, a young guy there called Claudio Kone um, who actually makes more pressures uh, wins more tackles makes more interceptions more limited minutes um, he's he's I think played about nine and a half games um, but at 18, he's definitely one to, to look out for. So if if City wanted to pick up somebody relatively inexpensive who's definitely got the potential to be very, very good, that, that would be a nice one. What I'd then do, and I'm droning on slightly here, is I, I would have a, a creativity in a slightly deeper position. I'd get more of a midfield balance that would allow De Bruyne to be the guy that pushes forwards. Um so I've looked at uh, Julian Brandt, uh, Donny van der Beek, uh, and Luis Alberto, um, the Lazio uh, midfielder. He's possibly ruled out because he's slightly too old, but those guys all give you a slightly different portfolio of progressive passing, ball carrying, line penetration. They're all at the absolute top of their game as, as creative midfielders, but from a slightly deeper position. Brandt also gives you versatility in that he can play a little bit higher um, and I think that, you know, City are in a position where they, they can afford to spend quite a bit of money and, and bring in players of that sort of quality to, to rearrange their midfield balance. Oh, I do love Julian Brandt. Uh, Seb, please go quickly because run, we're running out of time. Okay. Uh, deep midfield, I went for RB, RB Salzburg's Enoch Mwepu. Um, really good coverage of the field. Nice progressive passer. Um, bit raw, needs a bit of development, but, you know, um, could be very, very interesting. Um, another option, Florian Neuhaus from Gladbach. Uh, Marco Rose has used him as the sort of deepest man as his midfield after the restart in the Bundesliga. That could be interesting. With a David Silva replacement, I just went shopping around Europe for the finest left foot I could find. Um, Fabian Ruiz <laughs> from Napoli. Nicola Zaniolo for, for Rome, from Roma. Um, I watched Zaniolo play on uh, Thursday night and it was absolutely dreadful against Severe. But um that notwithstanding <laughs> that that problem, I still think he's a pretty good player. So uh yeah, try those two. Do you know what the dirty side of me wants to know what it would be like without financial fair play? I know it's a good thing, but I don't know if either of you ever feel like this sometimes when I'm going to sleep. I think what what would it be like if there was it, a European Super League and everyone could spend as much money as they wanted? Would it would it make me feel sick? But in a way that like, you know you um, eat too much ice cream, but you like the ice cream, but ultimately you know it causes causes you to prematurely die. I suppose it's like watching the kind of the nineteen eighty eight hundred meter final in Seoul, wouldn't it? Like where just... that reference has gone right over my head. So. It's known as the dirtiest race in history. It's the one that Ben Johnson won. 
um, in like uh, you know, yes. four and a half seconds or something. Um, but it's kind of that curiosity of uh, what would happen if just all bets were off, essentially. Just do what you want, you know, <laughs> see what yeah. happens. I'm convinced that's what scientists around the world are, are doing. Do you know what? That reminds me of uh, of uh, Jurassic Park. There's a, a Ian Malcolm line where he says... Uh, he says, you know, you, you were so you were so uh, obsessed with whether or not you could do it that you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should do it. Right, pow, pow, pow. And then there's the dinosaurs. Jurassic Park's most profound moment. That, that was it's, very it's, it actually Jurassic very Park's close only to. profound moment. <laughs> there's so much incredible dialogue in that film. This is a waste of time, though. Uh, we're going to come back in a moment, and we're going to talk about Wolverhampton Wanderers, and it's going to be shorter than these other segments because we've dilly-dallied for time. Sorry, wolves. Hey everyone, James Richardson here from the Totally Football Show. Listen, 11 months on, we're finally getting to the best bit of this football season because the Champions League and Europa League are about to restart at the sharp end. Last eight knockout tournaments await in Portugal and Germany and we'll be following both competitions with special nightly podcasts every single match day, ready for you to download first thing in the morning. So have your breakfast with Honigstein, Horncastle, Cox, Gurianov and all your other totally favourites and me as we wave goodbye to this epic footballing year in style. Our daily Totally Summer Special is available on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. And of course, you can also listen to it ad-free on the Athletic app. OK, I'm Wolves Prepared. The first question comes from Sebastian Peach. Uh, he, this, person, this comment is perfect, by the way, because we have three positions to look at here. And guess who? Sebastian Peach has listed all of them. Uh, a striker. <laughs> we want a backup to Jimenez, he says. A central midfielder. We want a younger version of Moutinho. Does such a thing exist? And a centre-back starting over uh, Roman Seis. So should we go with striker first? Because the mo- most of the comments, uh, including a comment from, from Jacob and Mitchell, they were all asking for, for strikers, assuming either that, that there'll be a backup to Jimenez or that Jimenez would be moving on. So I don't know if you have a different approach to how you want to start, but uh, let, let's, let's, let's start with Seb this time. Seb? Yeah, I have a slightly, uh, it's quite a boring answer. I went with um, uh, another 23 player, uh, Renat Dadashov. He's 21 years old, Azerbaijani, German-born, grew up, uh, I think, uh, spent some time with Eintracht Frankfurt. Really interesting. He's a long way from being first team ready, but he's built like a tank. And he has the sort of the little subtleties that Jimenez has too. And I... I'm just curious as to what he would be if he was promoted into that kind of position long term. So I'm uh, I'm keeping my money and I'm spending it elsewhere on the pitch, but I'd like to give him a go. Okay. Uh, Alex? Um, can you just give me one second? I can. I'll tell you what, I'll dilly-dally for time by saying, I can't get Jurassic Park back online without Dennis Nedry. Remember? Does everyone remember? Does everyone <laughs> yeah. remember 1993? Does everyone remember? Alex, is that enough Is that enough time for you to... Absolutely. Prepare? Yeah, spot go on. Ahead. Um, so I think if you're looking for a, a, a young striker who's built like a tank and quite cheap and also ticks Wolves Portuguese fetish, um, Pedro Marquez, um, who's a uh, sporting CP player who was on loan at Den Bosch uh, and scored a lot um, from a pretty high XG actually as well per 90. Massive, strong, big thighs. <laughs> um, you know, kind Hello. of kind of striker who, yeah, he, he would he would cause problems. He would hold the ball up well. He drops off and links nicely. 
I think actually Avia, who I mentioned for Man City, is a good option for Wolves as well. Probably, you know, slightly less of a step up, obviously, and in a price bracket that Wolves uh, would would be interested in. Um, and uh, Seru Girassi, um, who uh, is at Amiens, who got relegated from Ligue 1, who's a little bit more of a kind of breakthrough off the shoulder striker, but has the ability to hold it up. Uh, likes to drop off and link play as well. Uh, I mean, Jimenez is the best striker outside of the big six clubs, and and replacing him would be very very difficult. Um, but th- those are some options that would give you different things. Okay, cool. We're going to talk about uh, central midfielders too. However, I just wanted to include this comment from Mitchell Cryer, who says uh, Wolves smallest Premier League squad used, longest season, most games. Uh, discussion about depth need to be competitive. Uh, presumably that's something that we're thinking about as we as we approach discussing the central midfield role, Seb. Yeah, so for this, I, um, well, I raided upcoming uh, Sensible Transfers videos, actually, for two of my picks. Um, one of them <laughs> oh, because clever girl. he's, uh, yeah. Um, my first is a Mendes client, which obviously helps things at Wolves. Uh, Renato Sanchez really reclaimed his career in um, uh, in France, in Ligue 1. Um, the second is Sporting's Wendell, um, who featured in our scouting series. Again, he's someone much more aggressive player than Martinho. Um, he's not a sitter. He's not necessarily someone that's just going to be happy to spray balls from one flank to the other. Um, but then if you try and replace Martinho, you're going to come up with something inferior. So you have to slightly alter the dynamic. And my left field shout, um, bit of a reclamation project. Um, and there's a bit of a, a question mark about injury and condition. Uh, Bournemouth's Lewis Cook, um, kind of a forgotten boy of English football. Once upon a time was supposed to be a... A truly excellent player hasn't really worked for him at Bournemouth. Hasn't really, didn't ever really work that well in the system. Was occasionally shunted out to wide midfield positions, but um, talented enough to to give him a second go. And if he's available at cut down feet, definitely, definitely so. Okay, cool. Uh, well, I guess the last position here uh, for us to discuss is Wolves and uh, and centre backs. So, uh, Alex, should we go to Alex? Uh, yeah, I've just very quickly list my three. Um... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Someone tweeted me to say that this is actually uh, the weekly fire alarm test that they used to work in a bank and they had to do that too. So uh, there's the bell. It, it, this week it doesn't signify the end, but it does signify that we're very close to the end. <laughs> um, yes, okay, so the young prospect is a guy called Nicolas Cosa, um, who's a left-footed centre-back um, at Montpellier. Uh, really, really good defensive numbers. Slight question mark over his height. He's five foot ten, which may not be tall enough to be a, a really good top-level centre-back. But um, with a good left foot and a good range of passing, he's somebody to look at. Um, the upcoming but more established option is Marish Kambula at Hellas Verona. Um, Verona have had a really, really good season in Serie A, um, exceeding expectations with a very interesting system. Um, Kambula is a very, very solid defensive option. There is an issue that he's done so well that he's being looked at by some of the bigger clubs in Italy, particularly, I think, Juventus, but he would definitely be uh, an upgrade and, and again, has that kind of longevity and potential resale uh, value, which is interesting. The other guy I really like is Mario Hermoso, um, who's at Atletico Madrid, but but doesn't really get to start very often. Um, just a good, solid, brutish kind of defender. No nonsense. You're not going to get the same range of passing that you get from the other two, um, but in terms of, of finding somebody who's experienced in Europe's top five leagues, isn't getting a lot of game time and is still, I think, 24 um he's the kind of option who would be very very reliable and probably not hugely expensive 
Okay, and to finish us off, Seb, tell us your centre-back options for Wolves, please. I only have one. Uh, I've gone for Bubakar Kamara from Olympic Marseille. And the reason for that is, firstly, he's a really outstanding one-on-one tackler. Good footballer, as you know, is the prerequisite for the position. Can also play a range of different roles. Um, and that's kind of the uh, the kind of the Leander Dondonka, uh, Dondonka theme that um, Nuno seems to like. So you've got Kamara as a centre half, but also someone that can sit as the deepest man in midfield too. So um, no, and given his age, just a really sound investment, I think. Good player, really good footballer. Lovely stuff. Well, that, that's the end of the episode. I, I suppose I'd like to say before we go that it's fun, isn't it, talking about transfers? We all love transfers. There's a sort of there's a biosphere. Uh, there's a cyclical nature to football. Players move around as they uh, as they edge through their career. I suppose you could say that life finds a way, doesn't it? Uh, but we'll be back next week with not next week. We'll be back in two days' time. Oh, I forgot to say this at the beginning. We're doing three podcasts a week for the next few weeks to cover as many teams as we possibly can. We're also uh, expanding our search into Europe and we'll be joined by some very special and exciting guests in order to do so. Uh, So do please make sure that you are subscribed to the TIFO podcast RSS feed. Is that, is that, that's right. Is that right, Adonis? Is that what I'm saying? 15 years ago. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Uh, And uh, also you can, you can find all of our podcast episodes on YouTube as well on the TIFO podcast. football podcast youtube channel thanks so much for listening today and there's a police siren outside now you just can't escape it you can't escape the noise and the heat in london and uh, i'll leave you with an image as we go Uh, you've been listening to us today Uh, all the while alex stewart has been basically completely without clothes uh, in his home (laughs) smoking and dripping with sweat so uh, just imagine that now and take that with you uh, as a thought for the day 